morning. Welcome to our service here at Brighton Road. Um, welcome for those of you that are here in the building. Welcome to those of you that are watching us online. And welcome to those of you who are yet to watch us uh, when it goes out on YouTube later. This morning we're continuing to work through our, uh, the stories of creation in Genesis. And uh, this week we've come to a service called Cursed, which is great for leading worship, isn't it? So I thought, rather than start with cursed, I'd take the opposite, um, and we'd start with blessed. And so let's uh, start our worship with some verses, some very well-known verses from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And if you'll forgive me, I just want to make this personal, the last few lines, impersonal to us. So, and we also were included in Christ when we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. Having believed, we were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Merciful God, we come before you with praise and thanksgiving. Through Jesus Christ, you have lavished on us every spiritual blessing that we could possibly imagine, as well as those that we can't. Before the world was created, you already knew us and loved us. You adopted us as your own children and redeemed us through the blood of Christ. More than that, you have made us your heirs and given us your spirit as a sign and guarantee. Father God, we praise you. Open our hearts and minds to your presence among us here. May our worship this morning bring you honour and glory, for you alone are worthy of praise. Amen. 
I meant to say at the beginning that um, a bit of a shortage of pianists. So you've got me on the piano as well as leading the service. Not the way I planned it, but that's the way it's going to happen. So uh, Julie will remember because I did this for 13 years of life, but uh, I haven't done it for 15 years. So, But we're going to stand together and sing our first song, praising God for his faithfulness and the blessings he's poured out on us. Great is thy faithfulness. So let's stand.
Father God, I want to thank you quite simply that you love us and you love us abundantly. Thank you, Lord. Amen. blessed us with so many good things. We praise you for all that you've given us. Most of all, we praise you for your love that is higher, wider, deeper, longer, sweeter, and stronger than we can ever know.
all blessings, source of all life, giver of all grace. We thank you for the mystery of creation, for the beauty that the eye can see and the intricacies that it can't, for the science things, for the, for the things science can explain and the things we simply cannot understand, for the expanse of space that draws us beyond the definitions of ourselves. We thank you for the gift of life, for the breath that sustains us, for the food of this earth that nurtures life, for the love of family and friends. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your love that surrounds us throughout our lives, for the blessings that you lavish on us day by day, for your compassion that has no beginning and no end. For all these things, we give you thanks, eternal loving God. Amen. Please take your seats. So we come to uh, this morning's reading from Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, 
you must not eat of it. He commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. (coughs) The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray to it. Father God, you created a perfect world and gave us everything we need. Yet we decided that that wasn't enough for us and we chose to go our own way. We recognize in ourselves the rebellion that we see in Adam and Eve. And we can't honestly say that we would not have eaten from the tree. Lord God, we know that each one of us has done things that have hurt you, that have damaged the relationship between us. We know like Adam and Eve, we deserve to be cursed. We're going to stay seated to sing our next song as we come to God, (coughs) continuing to ask for his forgiveness. This song has some pretty strong words, but it reminds us that whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever has happened to us, whether our faith is strong or we're not sure at all, the cross is for each one of us.
as we come in prayer yet again, I thought you sort of remind us of a few words of Jesus. Come to me and I will give you rest, he said. I go to prepare a place for you. The Spirit will guide you into all truth. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Let's pray. Father God, our desire is to praise you for you have created us for fellowship with yourself and in Jesus you have made access for us into your presence and he speaks for us before you and makes possible the restoration of our relationship with you when in the sin of our pride we went our own way and separated ourselves from you. Lord, we are thankful for the blessings you've showered upon us, but some of us are tired and battle-scarred from life in a world so far from you. Father, we see around us a society where strife and greed, pride and lust abound, and we long for release from its power in our lives and in the culture around us. Father, your word promised us rest, guidance into all truth and that you hear our prayers and yet when we have prayed not for ourselves but for the suffering of others and the restraining of the power of evil around us and for your name to be hallowed so often you have seemed deaf to our pleas Lord hear our prayers now for the workless the hungry those inadequately housed the persecuted, the refugees, the sick, the lonely, and the unloved. We cannot believe these evils are part of your plan, but must be the result of the schemes of our sinful world, which even now may be destroying the sustainability of the very earth itself. Father, hear our prayers for the decision makers in government, trade, commerce, and industry that we may have wise leadership throughout the world. Then the earth may pr truly prosper and the needy find help. Lord, we pray for your church, that we may bring you the honour and praise and an effective witness in every place. Especially we pray for your people in Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Iran and Israel, and wherever persecution is found. Father, we pray for young people. Make your truth known to them and lead them into all wisdom. Please equip parents and teachers to surround them with the truth and love that will enable them to develop into healthy and wise adults. We pray especially for those damaged by the periods of lockdown. Please, please bring healing to them. Lord, we await your return and the consummation of your kingdom. But meanwhile, keep us faithful and hear our prayers because of Jesus, our advocate and saviour. Amen. So before Tim comes to speak to us, let's stand and sing one more song. It reminds us that we can't save ourselves. It's all about what Jesus has done for us. To, O oh Lord, 
could save them, sorry. of you who've come this morning without masks it's great to be able to see you singing that's really positive and to see you smiling it's really good um, just for the benefit of those who aren't here we've designated the balcony a, a safe place we're inviting people still to observe social distancing and to wear masks you're welcome to wear masks downstairs but we are free to mingle and mix and sing without masks downstairs and it feels good to be able to have that freedom to do one thing or the other Thank you, David, for leading our worship and, and for choosing songs that have so helpfully brought us into the theme of reflecting on cursed. That song talks about Jesus healing the great divide. What should have been a unified whole has been split asunder. A crack, a fissure has appeared across the tissue of the universe. And as a result, our experience of living is marked by pain, conflict, alienation, and futility. And Genesis 3 identifies human sinfulness as the root and core of these problems. The good news of Jesus, you see, addresses more than just my own subjective feelings of guilt or shame or, or fear of what will happen when I die. Jesus works to mend the damage we have caused not papering over the crack, 
but rather reuniting what we have split apart. As a fellow Baptist minister has put it, the gospel can be summed up in three simple phrases. God made it, we broke it, Jesus fixed it. But let me reflect with you for a bit on what it means to live in a broken universe. In the story of the Garden of Eden, God warns Adam that he will die if he eats the forbidden fruit. Everything was available to him. Paradise, God's blessings, there was just a, a no-entry sign at one point. And we can reflect on that in our own experience. God, God blesses us, but he says, you know, don't go beyond that point. If you go beyond that point, it will all fall apart. God warns Adam he will die if he eats the forbidden fruit. And when it comes, it's clear that the, the punishment is not the equivalent of a bullet to the brain. The impact of the curse on human disobedience is diffused over a wider area and a longer period. The whole of the created order is affected. And I want to explore what it means, what it looks like, what it feels like to live in this damaged world order under the four headings of pain, conflict, alienation and futility. Pain, first of all. Mothers, you know what that's like. Eve is told she will bring forth children in pain. The blessing of being fruitful and multiplying is undermined by the extreme pain that accompanies childbirth, a process which in other parts of the world continues to be life-threatening to vast numbers of mothers. Let's not underestimate the impact of this. In 2017, approximately 810 women died from preventable causes related to pregnancy and childbirth every single day. That's nearly 300,000 women dying of pregnancy-related complications over the course of the year. 94% of them dying in middle or low-income countries. Women die bringing new life into the world. It's part and parcel of living in a world fractured by sin and evil. And as mothers tend to tell their husbands, you haven't given birth, so you've no idea what real pain is like. I buy that. But nevertheless, the man experiences pain as well, in Genesis 3. The curse on the ground means that growing enough food to eat is a painful struggle for him, if he's the breadwinner. In our world, one in every ten people lives in extreme poverty, defined as having an income of less than $1.90 per day. It means they go to bed hungry, they don't have access to education, when night falls, there is no artificial light. They have no access to health care. And it's not that they are unwilling to work. Either they are unable, or their work is so poorly paid that they cannot make ends meet, or it yields such meagre returns that they can't live on it, or there's simply no work to be had. It's a different kind of pain, but it's still agonising in its own way. And on the back of that comes conflict, expressed in the second part of, part of the curse spoken to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Those who should be blessed in the closest of relationships are turned against each other. Sometimes it is financial pressures that provoke friction at home. The HMRC have acknowledged that the proposed increases in national insurance 
coming into force next year will have a negative impact on homes and families. But actually, even with plenty of money in the bank, we are still well able to fall out with each other. In this part of the curse, what should be a harmonious relationship degenerates into conflict and a struggle for power. At its worst, the husband, the man, dominates the woman by the use or the threat of physical violence. And she resorts to whatever manipulative techniques she can use to defend herself and get her own way. And if you're watching this and you find yourself in a situation of domestic abuse, let me urge you to seek help by contacting the police or victim support. Or in West Sussex, you can contact Worth, who have a team of independent domestic violence advisors. And their number is 033022-28181. That's 033022-28181. That's Worth. But actually, this language about desiring and dominating is as much about emotional needs as it is about a struggle for control, as men and women get so wrapped up in their own needs that they fail to see how to communicate love to each other, and so try and take what can only be given. And at the risk of lapsing into sexual stereotypes, it is only one phrase after all, but the woman is insecure because what she needs more than anything else is to be loved. And the husband doesn't give that to her, because he's wrapped up in his own needs. That is her unfulfilled desire, and so she tries to find ways of securing that love without necessarily being able to get hold of it. The man is insecure because he needs to be respected, and he doesn't feel respected, so he tries to assert himself by domineering and by being a bully. It's one picture of the way in which it can also go so drastically wrong in harmonious relationships, people just not meeting each other's needs, taking rather than giving, talking past each other, it all falling apart. And this strain on relationships is not the only, only found in the marital home, in the workplace, in organisations, even in church there are covert and hidden struggles for power, attempts to get one's own way, to undermine somebody else, to manoeuvre around, to assert authority, to dominate and control. The fracture of sin sunders all our relationships, tears us apart. Then there's alienation from our environment. We try and grow food or beautiful things, but all we get is thorns, thistles and weeds. Struggle to produce something from an unhelpful soil. And in an industrial or even a post-industrialised society, the honours go to Karl Marx for exploring how workers are alienated from both the product of their work and from the activity of working itself. I work, but I don't get to enjoy the product of my labours because I work for someone else who takes all the benefit from what I produce and pays me the minimum amount that they can get away with. And the harder I work, the more I produce, and they prosper, but I'm stuck where I am. So there's no satisfaction to be derived from the fruit of my labour or from the work itself. I don't work because I find fulfilment or self-expression in what I do. I work solely out of necessity to try and put bread on the table. The only time I get to enjoy myself is when I'm not working. 
And that cuts me off from any sense of satisfaction I could get from a job well done. Let me make it clear I'm not speaking personally here. That's not true of my experience here at Brighton Road. But that is the experience of an alienated workforce. We are robbed of our capacity to take pride in our work and we are dehumanised and reduced to the level of animals or machines. You want a current example of an alienated workforce? Look at lorry drivers. Those responsible for bringing goods into our country. Because for months they have suffered from what are described as misery and chaos in Kent, where there's nowhere to park. Parking double yellow lines, garage forecourts, motor motorway slip roads, there are no toilet facilities. And actually, yeah, the government is saying you can come into this country, but lots of foreign lorry drivers would rather not, simply because we have not made provision for them. We are completely reliant on lorry drivers for our inf infrastructure, yet they have been treated extraordinarily badly. And that, that whole scenario that we're, we're encountering now with empty shelves and empty, empty petrol forecourts, that is a snapshot of what it means to live in a fallen society with an alienated workforce. The curse of not being able to enjoy work and making it fulfilling and making ends meet. And all of that gives us a sense of the futility of life. What's the point of anything, we wonder sometimes? If life is just a painful struggle and there is no fulfilment in our relationships or in our work, what is there? The whole thing looks and feels like a waste of time. And that sense of futility is clearly summarized in God's words to the first couple. You're dust. And dust is what you're going to go back to. And that's not just a statement about our mortality. It also conveys a sense of worthlessness. If all we are is dust, and at the end of it all we're going back to dust, what's the point of anything? So that then is the human plight in, in some of its grim reality. And yet the Bible says Jesus is the answer. He's the one who saves us from ourselves. He, he's the one who mends the crack which has spread across the whole of human living. How does he do this? The first thing is he shows us that our lives have value. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but might have everlasting life. God loved you so much. He gave his one and only son for you. You matter because you are loved. And your value does not depend upon how productive you are, how successful you are, how good you are at pushing other people around or how important you manage to make yourself the first antidote to alienation is God's love for you. God loves you as a, as a parent loves a little baby. No successes, no failures, no achievements, nothing to be proud about. You're simply loved because you're there. And God's heart is filled with love for you. Not for what you do. Whatever you do or don't do doesn't matter. That love never wavers. But the second thing Jesus does is, is he brings reconciliation to a fractured world. He mends broken connections. When those connections have been broken, Jesus seeks to remake them again. Where relationships have been split apart, Jesus seeks to restore them. Where we're alienated from each other, from ourselves, from our work, from our environment, Jesus all the time is working to bring us back together again. When Jesus died, our brokenness was absorbed into the heart of God, and that is the place of healing, 
At the cross, God took our enmity, our hatred, our anger, our sin, our God-forsakenness, our alienation, and he died with all of that. But his abandonment means our reconciliation. God takes what is wrong out of our lives and replaces it with his goodness. He takes the rubbish out of our lives and replaces it with his righteousness. At the cross, our ultimate act of rejection, saying no to God, is answered by his word of acceptance of us. In Jesus, God takes all the brokenness of our world, redeems it, and works to make us whole. And the resurrection... The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the first step in liberating the whole of creation from its bondage to futility and decay. Paul pictures the whole of creation undergoing the agonizing pangs of childbirth as it waits for the day when it will be released from corruption and brought to wholeness again. There will be a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more mourning or crying or tears or pain. And the resurrection of Jesus is the first installment of that new order. It's coming. God's begun it already. And he's given us his spirit. Those of us who belong to Jesus have the spirit of the risen Lord in our hearts and we are called to live as people who live in the light of Christ. We look back to the cross and we see Jesus' love reconciling the world there. And we recognise that we have a calling and a responsibility to live as people of reconciliation in a broken and hurting world. And we look forward to the day when the whole of creation will be set free from decay and corruption and we work with the Spirit of God to bring renewing to this damaged world and its people here and now. And so alleviating pain and poverty and illness, the causes of premature death, mending broken relationships, enabling people to find fulfilment in their workplace and home, enabling people to discover their true identity and value in Christ, all of that is our calling. That is our role as God's people here on earth. To mend what is broken and to bring a bit of God's future kingdom of heaven into people's lives now. Does the church have a role in these dark days? You bet we do. Where people's only experience is that of living a cursed life, we're called to bring God's blessing, assuring everyone of their eternal value, bringing the reconciling love of God into their hearts and their relationships, setting people free by the liberating power of the Holy Spirit to enjoy God's gift of life in this precious and beautiful world he's made for us to live in. Genesis 3 makes for grim, yet realistic viewing. Reading, even, sorry. Genesis 3 makes for grim, yet realistic reading. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus has the last word. So let's sing together. Creation sings the Father's song.
So at the end of a service with the theme of curse, let's bless each other with the words of the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.
salvation. 